0: The Morning Struggle Podcast is brought to you by Blue Clover Therapy, a mental health counseling practice in Salt Lake City, Utah. Visit www.blueclovertherapy.com for more information. Blue Clover Therapy, because your mental health deserves a specialist. Activate. Welcome to the Morning Struggle Podcast, where we take habits of successful people and break them down, one at a time, into history, science, and action plan, so you can implement them into your life to build a better you. Stay tuned.
1: I am so sick.
0: Yeah, you're a little sick. So but you're pounding the cough medicine.
1: Yeah, which so. makes you a little weird, even the daytime stuff.
0: Yeah. Yep. A little weird. Well, stop
1: it. <laughs> well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome
0: to the Morning Struggle Podcast. I'm Ty. I am Jesse. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, today we're talking about
1: instant rich.
0: Instant rich. Mm-hmm. Disclaimer: Like all of our money stuff, I'm a slow money guy. There is, really, and I'm a
1: no money guy.
0: Jesse's a no money guy. I don't
1: understand it.
0: But uh, instant rich usually doesn't work out beneficial for the person, and it is a anomaly. It's essentially a lottery. Even people that you think are instant rich are either A, lottery-esque winners, mm-hmm. or have been working at it for 25 years.
1: And they just happen and to they get the money at to, that point. They just yeah. happen
0: to either boom into a new category, or they just get media attention so you see it. Sure. So just so you know, this is not a show for determining how to become instantly rich. No. It's actually kind of the opposite of talking about how instantly rich affects your brain negatively
1: yeah it's a, it's actually quite kind of a bad thing and your so habits. we're gonna tell you why that is okay and then we're gonna tell you what to do in just in case
0: just in case I got a quick story oh my gosh Here tell you me. the story yes for my instant rich ambitions mm-hmm. And this is usually what what happens I think to most people yeah so I was in college mm-hmm. and myself and Luke Hanley one of my best friends decided to drive to California mm-hmm. in an old Jeep Cherokee that I had. The story, I tell the story saying that I didn't have enough money to make it to California and back. I don't know if that's actually true, but let's just say we didn't have enough money if anything went wrong okay. on this trip. Mm-hmm. So we go down to, we start driving down to California. We stop in Mesquite, which is a little town outside of Vegas, uh-huh. and we enter a poker tournament. And know, lo and so behold, weird. I win the poker tournament. <laughs> we go to California. My car breaks down. Mm-hmm. I've got cash to pay for my car. Boom. We're able to come home. The stars align. Everything's amazing. So we think we're poker players now. Yes. So the next weekend we drive out to <laughs> to uh, another Vegas city, Wendover, outside mm-hmm. of Salt Lake City, about an hour outside, uh-huh. and we enter a poker tournament. And we I had a big like Lincoln Continental, which is like a Chrysler New Yorker, you know, like the big leather couch. So you felt boat. cool. So we felt cool, but it, it was like a full tank of gas to get out to Wendover, <laughs> which is an hour away. Uh-huh. So we we sit down at the tables. I haven't even been dealt my first hand of cards yet. And we go to different tables because we're going to be in the final together. So we can't be at the first table together. So right. we split up. I get a little knock on my shoulder. I look, turn around and Luke says, I'm out I'm going for a walk in the desert. <laughs> I was like, He's out. I don't think anybody's even gotten cards yet. Like, did he make a side <laughs> bet before uh-huh. we started? So anyway, uh, I get my first, my, my first pair of cards. Yeah. I think I folded. And then my second one, pair of Kings. Psh, I'm all in. I'm yeah. all in. This is going to be easy. Person next to me, pair of aces, wins. I go for a walk in the desert, too. <laughs> we get in the car, the we drive back to Wendover and, or drive to Salt Lake City. The whole trip was probably like 20 minutes and all of our money and we were broke again. So,
1: yeah. Oh, look at that.
0: That's usually what happens when you become instant rich. And it was like 400 bucks. It wasn't instant rich. But for but me...
1: For a college kid, $400 is pretty good when you win it. I mean, was, most people would be happy about earn, like not earning, winning $400. Oh, my
0: God. At the time, I, I we were walking around... Wearing fedoras and <laughs> fancy shoes. It was awesome.
1: Like, guys, look how, look how rich I am right I now. Got out
0: my Adidas shell toes and boom, we're <laughs> rolling. All right. Well, let's get into. Sorry for That's the,
1: amazing. the anecdotal story. That's an amazing um, story. Yeah.
0: But let's get into some of the history of instant rich. And we're talking specifically about lottery. This day in history. <laughs> so, just in America, we spend eighty billion dollars in lottery games.
1: Oh my god.
0: So the and this disproportionately affects the poor or less well off because they spend a higher amount of their salary
1: on on lottery games.
0: Yeah. So it's not it's not the most like ethically you know sound practice, but at the same time it's one of the only taxes we have that's voluntary.
1: Oh. Because oh, you, that's a good point. Yep, yeah. because
0: it, just in the U.S., most of the money—about sixteen point seven billion—went to education. Uh-huh. Two and a half billion went to state general funds. One point three billion was spent on social programs for the whole. Oh, homeless.
1: like so, Powerball funds education.
0: Powerball funds education.
1: Oh, that's really interesting.
0: Yeah. So a lot of these. I didn't realize that. Yeah, a lot of these states that have lottery, they're able to fund some of their their programs. Huh. So in that aspect, it it is very democratic to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll talk into some of the history. We thought I thought America came up with the lottery because I'm an American and I'm eager to stuff it. We invented everything. Yeah, not even close. So here you ready? Athenian democratic lotteries. So ancient Athens, which was in ancient Greece.
1: Oh, Think Greece did everything. Guys
0: in togas, right? Yeah. So the state of Athens considered the birthplace of democracy, but to choose its civil leaders, mm-hmm. just I don't know if it was all of them, but a, a, a sortian of leaders, so uh was a bunch of men, white men over eighteen, of course. Okay. But they were put into a lottery and then they used a a machine called a claritarian. Okay. To essentially drop white and black stones in it and it would line up white and black stones and then you would so you would either get picked to be in government or you would not be picked to be in government. What? So it's almost like jury duty
1: to well, but to be essentially
0: be like a senator. Could you imagine being like, hey, um You got to come into DC. You're going to be a senator for the next six years. (laughs) Like, all right.
1: I think we should do that. It'd be amazing. I feel like that would be better than what we're doing now.
0: Like we're not a democracy. We're a republic. Yeah. We're not even a very good republic because nowadays you have to be essentially a celebrity, a politician or a, like a yeah. celebrity politician or celebrity. Right. Essentially to get elected. It's not democratic at all. No. So this would be a good way to do it. Maybe Just make randomly. someone do like a three-year course on what government is and then you can go in. Be more, <laughs> more, educated, more, than more educated than Curly is. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Kino. Kino is my favorite casino game. Did you know it was invented 2,000 years ago in the um, Han Dynasty era China?
1: What? I had no idea. Yeah, so
0: China decided to, it was called Baj Payo, probably mispronounced that, but the White Pigeon Game or White Pigeon Ticket.
1: Oh my goodness.
0: Yeah. So then you would, Aww, it, pigeons. It's, it's like essentially, you know, keynotes has got 80 numbers on it. You pick 20 and then if 10 comes up or 20 come up, you win a bunch of money. Oh. The same thing, but they had like prizes, almost like bingo. So this was like their version of bingo. Oh, I
1: like it.
0: Yeah. Uh, they, but they did use it for government funds, a lot of government-sanctioned sh- you know, projects, including they think the Great Wall of China was oh, partially no funded joke. by Kino. All right. Roman decimation. This was a bad lottery. Okay. So if a Roman soldier was found to be cowardice or uh, not living up to the standards, mm-hmm. they would have a lottery and draw one out of every 10 men and then beat those men to death.
1: Oh my gosh, really? And
0: that would curb so wait, negative each- attitude in the platoons.
1: That's actually brilliant, because then you don't know if you're going to be the one to get picked. And so, because like the same thing is like with, um, you don't like slot machines. Mm-hmm. You don't know if, which spin's going to get you some money, so you just keep going. And so with that, it would deter a lot of behavior, because you don't know if you're going to get caught or not. So you don't want to be...
0: Even if you're not caught, like your buddy... Not doing well, you're like, hey, I'm not going to get beaten to death. Yeah, you're like, because step of... in the line, or I'll step in the line for you. Kind wow. Of thing. So anyway, that's that, wild. That was uh, that was the Roman Empire, uh, 16th century Italian lotteries. So a lot of the lotteries we see today were kind of during they came they sprouted during that Renaissance era, right? And so this one was it was in Italy and a lot based a lot based gambling games. That's what a lottery is a lot. Oh, you know. So anyway, gambling games were used in both like private money making schemes and public works. So they began springing up, and they even built the famous bridge in, in Venice. Oh. The one from Spider-Man, I believe.
1: <laughs> the one from Spider-Man. With,
0: with funds from Y'all wateries. can see that
1: one, right? There's, yeah.
0: yeah. And so you think everybody puts in their money. Right. And then oh. they have a bunch of prizes that equal probably about half of the money that is brought in. So you're yep. spending a lot of money up front right. to get it, but then you're making a bunch of money. And so you know, they have prizes of like carpets and cash and jewels and servants and real uh, estate, uh-huh. they they'd give you servants. Wow. Yep. And um in Gine- Gineo, um, the lotto evolved into the city system of randomly choosing five public officials from a potential pool of 90 candidates. Mm. So you got your candidates and then you just lotteried five and then they were in their they were public government. <laughs> wow. Queen Elizabeth started at the national lottery in 1567. Oh. And this one was a little different cuz it was crazy expensive. It was 10 shillings.
1: Which is a lot for that. Which time back period. in the
0: day, I don't know what, what how much a shilling you made a a day or week or a month, but mm-hmm. apparently it was very very much. Okay. So it wasn't a poor lottery; it was a rich man's lottery. Oh. And then there were ten thousand uh, participants.
1: Ten thousand.
0: Uh huh. And so, or ten I ten thousand. Like sorry. One. Prizes for over ten thousand people.
1: Oh. And so they had like
0: lots of dispersed prizes.
1: Oh, that's good.
0: And well. they they did that to essentially fund public projects. Oh, smart. Same thing, French National Lottery, mid-1700s. Um, this, was, this was interesting, though. So they had like a Wheel of Fortune wheel.
1: Yeah. they like put your name on the
0: wheel and they'd spin the wheel. Nice. And it probably like King whoever of France dun, 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 was doing a little dance dun, 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 with his little dun, dun, crown dun, 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 doing his thing. Dun, 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 yeah. Dun, dun. But anyway, uh, French did ban the lottery um, in 1836.
1: Why? Because it's not cool?
0: Because on the grounds that exploited the poor.
1: What? They were, of course it
0: does. Yep. So they were, they had the foresight to know that they should not have this volunteer taxation. Right. Uh, back in 1836. But then they reinstated in the 1930s.
1: Oh, good. Because all of our morals went away. Our that. morals
0: went away. Yeah. Spanish lottery. Yeah. Oh, sorry. It's the Spanish Christmas lottery. What? So this one's this one's like a, a Christmas tradition, which we might need to get on board with. I think we it's called it. El Gordo or the fat one. And it's a Christmas lottery that's What's been a that? tradition for over 200 years, originated in 1812 in Spain. And they were cash strapped, the government was. So yeah. they started this one-time-a-year lottery, and they had orphan boys from a local school pull the winning tickets out of gold pots. And to this day, they still use students from a boy's home to pull the tickets the
1: out of golden get pots. the boys snacks or something? I don't know what
0: they get, but...
1: That seems like the worst yeah. way to do that, but okay.
0: But, but prizes Equaled $2.5 billion.
1: Okay, that's nuts.
0: So that's a lot. That's like more than most Powerball or all Powerball. Well, I think Powerball's gotten there. But anyway, that's a lot of wow. money. And the last one, the Louisiana State Lottery Company. Here, we're coming into America. Getting it. And this was in the 1700s. Um, so they started in the... Or sorry, Ben, ben Franklin, and George Washington, they all held lotteries. Okay. And then this company came into being. And by the late 19th century, about the Civil War, they started louisiana um lottery company state Mm -hmm. lottery company and it was one of the only lotteries because they were starting to outlaw and ban lotteries right but they were so corrupt and they're corrupting politicians and government officials that they were the only practicing lottery in the country and -hmm. they were able to sell tickets over state lines so they were just making a grundle of money selling lottery tickets all over the united states and then the government stepped in and said you can't sell lottery tickets over state lines oh and that's why we can't like mail-in order Powerball from Idaho. Oh, that's Utah why people does not have to have drive lottery.
1: out of the state. To so then it. they
0: went to Honduras. They tried doing it out of Honduras. Of but course they did. It's really dangerous down there. So. Yeah. <laughs> then they folded, and now a bunch of states have state-sanctioned lotteries. A
1: version of it. But yeah. a lot
0: of them, too, are private companies that are that are tasked with putting on the lottery. Right. So.
1: I wonder how corrupt it is at this point. I mean, I everything's corrupt. So. Yeah. But I mean, wow. And like servants, like you get a person, yeah. that seems awful. So Although it's this idea of like possibly winning, like possibly you get you to get take home a $2 billion prize
0: or whatever. Right. It's exciting. Yeah. That's what, That's why lotteries work. That's why they're successful. Right. So my recommendation is play the lottery as much as you can. No, don't, don't. So is that what we're talking about <laughs> no, today? No, it's what talking about. You want to be though? instant rich. Mm-mm. You play the lottery at least three times a day.
1: Oh my gosh, stop it. No.
0: No, it's not now what you do? No. Yeah, the odds of winning the lottery are So r- small. Ridiculous. Someone was saying that the odds of winning the lottery for like, imagine America, mm-hmm. and then imagine having to pick a city, uh-huh. and not just that city, but a neighborhood. And not just that neighborhood, but a house, but not just that house, a bedroom. And then if you can pick the correct bedroom where that money is, you win it.
1: Oh wow! If you thought of
0: it that, we'd be like, "How am I supposed to okay. do that?"
1: But that's not how it's pitched at all.
0: Nope. You're everybody's, the next winner. Everybody's a winner. Yeah. So anyway, all right. There you go. That's all I got wow. for history of lotteries. Let's get into the science and see what becoming. No, we're not just talking about lotteries. We're no, not windfall A windfall, a windfall money. of money. A yeah. sudden windfall of money. What that does to your brain. Yeah, like a
1: so there's a syndrome for this
0: an official diagnosis
1: um not official diagnosis because that would be a dsm sanctioned uh,
0: diagnosis but there's a syndrome. syndrome
1: yeah it's called sudden wealth syndrome and it's by this um coined by the psychologist Stephen goldbart which is the most psychology-ish name I've ever heard in He's my entire life. He's got a tweed life. jacket
0: and golden spectacles on right Absolutely. Now. Yep. Exactly.
1: In this moment, right? Okay. And basically what this is, is suddenly you have, they call it a windfall of money. What does that even mean?
0: A windfall. The wind brings you money from the heavens.
1: And then, I, know, I like how you just I defiant. Like, <laughs> I, know. I
0: don't know. That sounded good though, right? It did sound really good. I have no idea what a, the official A large amount
1: of money suddenly okay. um, is a windfall of money. But I can't quite use it in my vocabulary. I tried. I just can't get it. We just
0: don't use that kind of terminology. A
1: whole bunch of money, Um, and it—it what it is—it defines by the stress, guilt, social isolation, and confusion that comes along with this kind of money suddenly.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, because you go, you essentially become a completely different person without transitioning into that person.
1: Well, we we think so.
0: Oh, we think so
1: because the way that our brains work right now, we're all about the money, and we think we'll be happy if we have money like i i cannot tell you the how many times i've heard well if i just made a thousand dollars more if i just got a little bit of money if i just paid off this bill and you're going to be the same person after that bill is paid off versus not um but we don't believe that and so what happens is we get all this money and we we start to realize that we're actually not as happy as we thought we'd be if we got that kind of money and henceforth we get the stress guilt social isolation because suddenly You don't fit in with your group of people. Yeah. And then it gets really confusing because you don't quite know what to do with yourself. Okay. So initially you get really happy as one would if you win the lottery.
0: Buy a bunch of stuff.
1: You buy a bunch of stuff. You get kind of frivolous about things and not even the lottery. Let's say that like professional athletes get the syndrome, artists, models, people who have been maybe really striving for something, uh, but haven't quite hit that mark. And then suddenly they get a big multi-million-dollar contract, right? Right. And so they're like, "Holy crap!" And so there's a lot that comes along with that, where suddenly they have a bunch of money. They they get very happy, but the problem is, about two months in, that happiness goes back to the previous level of happiness.
0: Just your set point. Yeah. You just find that set point again. Yeah. So be- if you were not happy before, you're going to be not happy after.
1: Right. Because okay. money can buy you a jet ski. Jet skis are fun, but it can't buy you social supports. And, um, just, I mean, it can buy you happy events, but who are you doing these things with? It
0: can't buy you contentment, can't buy you love.
1: Yeah. So there's, there's a lot that comes with that. And about two months in is when we realize it. Okay. So it's really interesting. So we have this incredible spike of depression, anxiety that happens past this two month mark. And, um, they're, they're thinking that it has a lot to do with kind of this idea of credibility. Um, and we feel like an imposter.
0: Stolen valor.
1: Yeah, because you you haven't earned, in theory, you haven't earned that money. You haven't, you know, fought up the ladder to get whatever's happened, like whatever amount you have now. And so you feel like, oh, I don't belong here. They're going to figure me out. And there's a lot of anxiety that goes along with that because you're waiting for the moment that they're going to take all that money away. Oh. which I, we still usually in this stage, we usually still I have the idea that ma- money is going to make us happy, even though money is currently not making us happy. So if the money is stripped away, we will be way
0: worse. We'll think we'll be less happy, even though we probably wouldn't.
1: Yeah, but we we would probably be better. we probably but, be the same miserable we are right now. We get really scared that it's going to be taken away. Okay. So about 70% of people who suddenly get a windfall of money mm-hmm. um, lose it within two to three years. Two to
0: three years.
1: Two to three years. So whatever that amount is, it doesn't seem to matter what the amount is. It's more of that we go back to whichever status of income that we had previously.
0: So that's why you always hear, "Hey, lottery winners—they lose all their or they spend all their money in the first few years." Mm -hmm. And for me, I'm a I'm a prodigious saver. I like saving money. Right. I go, "How is that possible?" You put a $10 million into a, <laughs> just a, a conservative portfolio and live off the interest of that, you would live forever. And right. they don't do that. They, they blow their money. Okay. That well, makes and, sense because that's and, what they were doing before. Exactly. Just blowing their money.
1: Well, in theory they were just blowing their money um, or they get that relief of like, Oh now I can blow a bunch of money on stuff. Right. Or they wanted to. Yeah. Right. And um, we actually don't know what to do with the money once we get it. And so it starts going quickly. And psychologically I, I think of like, well, if you start to hate or resent your money or you don't really know what to do with it, or if you feel like an imposter, you'll try to get back down to your status that you were before because then you're no longer an imposter. Oh, okay. Right? So if you spend all your money within two to three years, suddenly you're not an imposter anymore and you go back to the way the status was right? Right. Um, high profile lifestyle. Typically with like athletes, artists, models, and all of that, there's expectations of what the high lifestyle is.
0: So they're buying Bugattis and mansions in Miami.
1: Yeah. They, they get a new house, they get a new car. It's the same thing that happens when people get a uh, raise or they hit a new position. Let's say you become a CEO of something. You're not going to stay in your little house right? You're going to get a bigger house. You're going to get a nice car. You're going to send your kids to private school or whatever. And it, it, you're going to hit all of these marks thinking that that's what you have to do. When well, in actuality, you don't have to do any of those things, nope. right? But that's what we, I think has to happen. And NFL players are a good example of this, where the idea is like, well, you're making, how much does an NFL football player make? Do you know? Um,
0: I don't know. I don't know. What league minimum is maybe $350,000 a year. Maybe five hundred now. I don't know what it is.
1: But then you have like the millions. You have guys making so millions a disproportionately of
0: dollars small amount of football players make those big money contracts. Oh, okay. most of them play for very little money in comparison. Still a lot of money.
1: Yeah, three fifty still. Yeah,
0: a fair um, but you know the the ten or twenty or hundred million dollar contracts. Those are far and few between. But I think everybody tries to live up to. Hey, so and so is making fifty million dollars a year, and they bought a giant, awesome Rolex. I'm buying a giant, awesome Rolex.
1: Yeah, and so th- this high high life or high profile lifestyle um, is really interesting because seventy eight percent of NFL players who run completely out of money who have retired in one to two years, usually less than two years, so, lose so after they retire.
0: After they retire, within one to two years, they lose all of their money. Yes. Yeah. Which is
1: completely wild. And then they have to find a new career of some kind because if they're not playing football anymore, they're not playing football anymore. And then, I mean, it's just a dance because suddenly now you have this big house you can't afford and you have this lifestyle. And usually you have set up people around you because what happens, and it's really sad to, to see, is that let's say you get a big windfall of money. You also, it comes along with people.
0: They want they want, yeah, they're the little the little fish, the little sucker fish that yeah, just want a little that, bit that suck off the shark,
1: because if you don't actually know what you're gonna do with your money, you're more likely to just give it to people when they ask it because oftentimes they'll have created some sort of emotional connection with you, so um, so
0: that's where you see the entourages,
1: you see the entourages you see, um, and a lot of them, maybe they're actual buddies, I don't know, but like uh, family members t- um really, i mean, and it's really sad to see that family members who. If you're both in the same economic status, and then suddenly you move bump up an um, SES, then oftentimes you'll see family members um, who will try to at least get a little bit of your money right. to bring them up in their SES as well. And then you feel uncomfortable with your money, and so you want to bring them along. Therefore, you'll buy them houses, cars, whatever, and to try to bring their status up so you feel less like an imposter. And before you know it, you're funding four different households in a really glamorous lifestyle and then obviously then you run out of money. And so and then they talk about like you know, the gold diggers and such coming in and um right. the and of that's a big NFL thing. Um but uh it's it's really interesting that we don't know what to do with our money. Like I was thinking of this. If you give me twenty bucks, i I know what I'm gonna spend twenty bucks on.
0: Target candles.
1: Oh my gosh, you have no idea. So many candles. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly it.
0: You're gonna go to Target and you're gonna buy candles.
1: <laughs> but if you gave me a thousand dollars and you said this has to be invested in some way. You invested in candles. I would invest in. I I would have no idea what to do.
0: Or a candle company.
1: Well, no, but but really, <laughs> well, maybe, but no, but honestly, like if if you're like, okay, so this has to go into retirement. I would probably just put it in a savings account.
0: Sure, and make no money on it, and it would not and be, be inflation exactly a thousand
1: dollars when yeah. it was ready to retire. I I would have no idea what to do with it. Now you, on the other hand, take care of all of our retirement and stuff, so you know exactly what you would do with literally ten dollars. Like, right. if I have an extra $10, I'm going to put in this and that and this. And that, I think, is not healthy necessarily either because I everybody agree. needs target candles. I agree. But, um, like, if I suddenly got a bunch of money, I don't know what I would do either. And so, for some reason, I get the money and upsteps a bunch of people who, you know, need something or want something or my buddies or I thought were my buddies. I would probably give them things. Right. Right? Okay. And so it's it's we think well well that's ridiculous you just got to watch out for them gold diggers or whatever, you know, derogatory version of that. Um but uh um, There's a
0: reason there's a term for it. It's because it happens a lot.
1: Well, it happens it, it happens, happen,
0: there wouldn't be a term <laughs> for it. I'm sorry.
1: No, but really though, like it would easily happen. And so I I that's the first thing I want you guys to recognize that if for some reason and it doesn't have to be billions of dollars, if for some reason you come into some money or get a job in which you make more money, this is an easy syndrome to fall into.
0: Okay. The bigger house, the bigger car is mm-hmm. giving money to your friends and, and family. So trying to bring everybody along and then not being smart with, with your, your status level and your investments and your retirement, and your yeah. future deferred gratifications. Yeah, because right? it's,
1: it's actually quite distressing. Like People commit suicide over this. Oh, it is. Sad. Yeah, it's really sad. It, it is incredibly distressing because if you think you're an imposter and you're not credible, man, that'll deteriorate you quick.
0: So if you win the lottery, just give it all away immediately.
1: No. Is that what we're saying? I'm going to give you an action plan. Oh, there's, a, there's yeah. an actual action plan? <laughs> yeah, for this.
0: All let right. right. Uh, first, before we do action plan, let's go into a quick coffee segment. And then we'll action plan this. So in case you come into a windfall of money, <laughs> windfall. let's say you inherit a bunch of money or you win the lottery, yeah. or all of a sudden you've been kicking butt on the basketball court and the jazz pick you up, mm-hmm. or let's say you make CEO and all of a sudden your your salary goes up tenfold or a hundredfold. Mm-hmm. We'll tell you, tell you how to not fall in these traps, right? Yep. All right. Here we go with that. I drank...
1: Pots and pots and pots and pots of strong black coffee, trying to keep my sleepy soul awake. But the sleepiness still comes along, and when it does, it's fast and strong. I end up with a bad case of the shakes. So, you're really excited about this coffee segment.
0: I am so excited about this coffee segment because we're going to talk about Starbucks again. I'm sorry. They're just they're everywhere. They were, Four thousand stores or whatever. It's they just, own
1: a lot of different companies too. They own so yeah. many different
0: companies. So, but they're a success, right?
1: Yeah, they've done they've done
0: well for yeah. themselves. So and yeah. so, like Starbucks, they they came into being on a Tuesday, and on Friday, they were a multi million dollar conglomerate. Yeah. No, not even close. Yes? That's what what we're talking about. Yes? No. So we're going to talk about, this was a good article because like we said earlier, a lot of these overnight successes are years and years (laughs) and years in the making, bless you, and not an overnight success. We just all of a sudden see them when they are either put into the spotlight or... Or they make that big jump from one category to the next. So right. let's talk about Starbucks just so you can get a, a feel for how long some of these companies take before they become these Ooh, mega I giants. Love this. yeah So they started their first store in Seattle. Um, this was f- uh, founder Jerry Baldwin, Gordon Bowker, and Zev Siegel. And they first started in 1971 in Pipe Place Market. You know yeah. where they throw the fish yeah. in Seattle? Um, so this was three, three Starbucks founders had two things in common. They all came from academia. So they were very, very smart and uh-huh. they all loved coffee. So they started kind of messing around with different roasts and doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. They, um, um, they kind of mimicked Pete's coffee. Oh, so okay. Pete started in like 1966. Um, who's so Pete? if we, if can, Pete's coffee. There's a, there's a roaster brand. If you look in the, in the grocery store, there's probably a I know, Pete's but who's coffee the brand. OG of Pete? Oh, I don't know who Pete came from. Hmm. We can go back to all the way till coffee was made in Ethiopia <laughs> or found in Ethiopia. But anyway, so, so they, they kind of just had the store. Mm-hmm. They kind of became successful. Right. They opened four stores in essentially like 10 years.
1: Oh, so wow. over 10 years and they And look kind how of proud they would be of that. would be amazing. Yep, exactly. You got one little store and then you got four.
0: Yep. And then in 1981, a gentleman named Howard Schultz, and if you know about Starbucks, you'll know who he is. Schultz. But he was a sales representative for a Swedish company that made kitchen equipment. And Starbucks was making a lot of orders. Yeah. So they sent him over to America. Or I don't know if he was already in America, but they sent him over to Starbucks. Yeah. To kind of see what's going on and he loved their setup. He just loved their company. Oh. So he started to work for them. Oh, cool. And he wanted he he felt that when people would come into a, a barista, mm-hmm. it was a very uneasy feeling. They didn't know what to order or how to do it. Yes. So he wanted this kind of, you know, he wanted people to have the, the the baristas, the sales rep, be very customer service oriented and help you out. And when you say, I don't know what to get, they're like, well, let me tell you about this coffee bean, you know, mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, so the people from Starbucks didn't really like what he was doing. Mm. So Schultz started his own coffee company, which mm. became pretty successful. What was it called? Um, it was some, it was, I don't know what it was called. That's a good idea or a good, good notion, but it was something fancy. Something else. Yeah. I and he was
1: customer service
0: based. He was customer service based. Okay. But then in 1987, Baldwin and Balker decided to sell Starbucks okay. and Schultz bought it. Whoa. So he bought their company and he combined his operations and the Starbucks brand and committed to the, the cafe concept for the business. Oh. Which was like the coffee cafe. Right. Where you wouldn't just go in, get your coffee. It was intimidating. You go in, you can sit down, you can get your laptop out. <laughs> Back then, there were no laptops. You get your newspaper out and actually read something on right. print, you know, but that's what he did. And so, Schultz, over the years, he became the largest coffee house chain in the world. And by the 21st century, Starbucks had presence in dozens of countries in the globe and operated in over 20,000 stores. Whoa,
1: that's a big jump.
0: So, those guys opened four stores. Right. And then, Howard Schultz came in and went to 20,000. So br- brilliant! So he just guy. he
1: just figured out how to make it. Do you think he was bitter that he bought Starbucks? Do you think they were mad because they originally didn't want to work with him and then suddenly he? No,
0: no, I, I bet you it wasn't like that. You don't think so? No, Especially, or else like, it wouldn't have sold to him.
1: And and do they sell and not have any stock in it? I anymore? have no
0: idea. That's a good. That's a good Google. Because
1: yeah, because if I would have kept a little chunk of something right right because then if this guy really is successful i mean that's a lot of
0: stores yeah. going from Florida. Well, it went public in 1992 so it opened oh. in 1971 and then it actually became a publicly traded company in 1992 which is 21 years later
1: right so, so when that's, we're, that's when we're that's like not starbucks op- is so yeah, crazy Star- successful i can right buy now. starbucks
0: stock and it's everywhere that is a very new new Thing for the company, right? You know, it's kind of hit that exponential growth curve, right? Where now we see it everywhere. But I mean, seventy-one. We're talking, we're talking forty plus years ago. That's wild. So anyway, that's uh, that is Starbucks in a nutshell. But let's talk about action plan. Let's action so, plan it. We're not talking about going and quitting your job and then not getting paid in your business for a year and then right. You know, that's fine. Do that. But we're going to talk about what happens if you do come in to some big money. And how to not fall into the traps, right? Yes. Okay. Here we go. Let's hope you make the most of it, my boy. All right, you ready? Action plan me up.
1: Okay. So first, don't spend it right away. Don't spend a dime, because Uh-oh. yeah, because what they find is that the second that it hits your bank account, even if you go and you get a I don't know a soda from the Maverick with that money, uh-huh. it, we're already in the process of slowly letting that drip out. Okay. Okay, so literally lock it down. Don't buy anything for a chunk of time.
0: So like open up a separate account, throw it in there, and don't don't access it. it. Don't spend it at all. Okay.
1: Hire professionals and consult with people you trust. So if you are not from a financial background like me... I, I would have to hire someone or thoroughly talk to you about what to do if we weren't married. Right, okay. <laughs> Otherwise, you're just going to deal with this. Right. Um, But talk to people and figure out who you actually trust. If someone asks you for money or a favor right out the gate or close to the gate, don't.
0: Just say, just say yeah, no. Just, just, just say, say I no. don't have access to that money. Right, don't just have access don't to have, that money. I don't either. have access to the money yet.
1: And really be very um, guarded with okay. them initially because they're going to be the ones to start asking for more and more as you go along. Um, um, Stephen Goldbart um, came up with the stages. So first there's wealth acceptance. So you have to understand and be kind of vulnerable with this idea that you didn't have money and now you have money. Okay. And, and understand that you're going to need some limits that you can't just go spend a bunch of money. um, And what that actually looks, what that lifestyle actually looks like, and is it sustainable? So this, the idea that yes, now I am wealthy. What does that life actually look like compared to the chunk of amount of money I have? Can I live on that? And so on and so forth. And And that's that's where where
0: an accountant and a financial advisor come into play. Yes.
1: And and make sure they're good at their job so that you can literally live on this for the rest of your life. Because if you get a large sum of money like that, that's how you should look at it. Because if you have no other way of continuing that windfall, then it is only a one-time deal. Right. Right. And so that's where you get your accountants and you have to sit there and you have to be vulnerable with those people and be like, I was struggling to buy groceries and now I can go buy the nicest dinner in town. So please tell me how to kind of gauge this. I also want you to include a therapist in this process because everybody has an idea of money. I know that my idea of money is way different than your idea of money, and we both struggle and butt heads with that. And so, being able to talk to a therapist or um, a social worker, um, someone about it, and being like, "I actually hate money." When I grew up, I hate money, and now suddenly I have a bunch of it, so now I hate myself. And so, you can okay. kind of go into that that process. And now you're, you're, the, you're the imposter within your social group. How to handle that?
0: Okay, that does that sense. make sense?
1: Yeah. Um, identity consolidation. So what we do is so now we've accepted our money and then we are going to start defining ourselves that includes the money and who, but who you want to be without the money.
0: So all the voices in our head we bring together into like a harmony. We re- re- round table it. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah,
1: um, but what you want to be that the money can get you, right? And what you want to be that the money can't get you because you're still a human being and you're still developing. Right. And so who you want to do you want to have high morals? Do you want to... Um, save children in China or something. I don't know what you're going doing. Right. But like um, who you want to be as a person, separate of the money and then with the money. Okay. And then once you've kind of identified that, you're going to start on that practice. And he was talking about that you kind of waver in these. So that's why you want to make sure you have a solid plan out of each stage so that you kind of understand where you're going with it. Okay. And then let, the last stage is stewardship. And this is kind of that wise old man idea where you recognize that you have the money it, everybody understands what it means for them, but then how is it going to help other people? Right. And what you can do to make the world better because you got this really beneficial situation. So now you can help other people.
0: So you're given a gift. Now you bestow onto others.
1: Right. And it doesn't have to be gifts of money. And this is, this is the problem where you, I don't want you handing out your money to your family members or the people who have suddenly shown up. Um, I want you to really think hard about the money, what you're going to do with it, and how it can be the most good per dollar that you're you're doing. And then re- personally invest in it as well. Because anybody can throw money at anything. Right. But if you're going and also volunteering at whatever organization. that would be nice
0: because maybe you get a windfall of money. You don't have to work anymore. So right. now you can go volunteer at whatever organization that you love. Right. And that is way better than dropping a bunch of your cash on there. It's, it's showing up every day and making a better impact.
1: Exactly. And that with that stewardship, you want that money to last because you want to continue to fund those things. Right. So that means that you are not going to outspend yourself and you're very wise with what's happening. And you you tend to get a global view instead of just me, 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 or I get it me and my own kind of vibe. It's what am I going to do for... Th- Everyone, global idea,
0: which is what much more rewarding, absolutely, and that's probably why when you have the me, 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 I just won the lottery, you probably get pretty depressed, like we were talking about, right? Exactly, makes sense.
1: And to be honest, you can you can do this now, even if you don't have a windfall of money, you can at the very least understand where you're at with money, and and, oh, that's a good tip. Yeah, so where you're at with money, and go through these different steps. So wealth, who you want
0: to be as a person separate from your money, yes, and then how the money you have now can help achieve those goals
1: right exactly so even though like if you win the lottery congratulations thanks for listening to the podcast go through these steps that's wonderful get you know but do the same thing if you haven't gotten a certain amount of money because we need to understand it and become kind of a stewardship for our money ourselves and our world
0: Whoa, yeah. that is a mic drop moment right there. <laughs> so this wasn't just for the lottery winners. No. Nope. So everybody else who was listening, there you go. You're welcome.
1: Go through all those steps.
0: Because the odds of you winning the lottery are, you know, ones in billions. You're ones probably out of billions. not going to win. So but you can still use these to have a better relationship with money and improve yourself as a person. Yep. Wow. All right. So go out there, get that windfall of cash, do good things with it.
1: <laughs> Build a better you guys.